morning. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Welcome to the Village Church, where our mission is to know Jesus, join Jesus, and glorify Jesus. And our mission is to people coming together to embrace and extend Jesus' love. In the way of announcements this morning, uh, we would ask you all to be in prayer. Uh, we have officer drinks today. Today, so the needs of our congregation, the needs of our community, the needs of our country, and the needs of our world. That is all I need to know. <laughs> um, so let's take time now to prepare our hearts and our minds for worship. So we'll take a few moments silence and go for the Thank you. 
from the lyrics of the song, God, Great God. So please join with me where it says congregation as well as where it says together. Glory and honor, dominion and power, now and forever, the Lord God omnipotent, reigning it with power, forever with power, greater than all who are sovereign God, God, great God, worthy of honor and glory, we stand here in reverence, blessed in your presence, Jehovah, Forever and ever, oh God. Amen. Please bow. God, you are great. You are worthy of honor and glory. You are high and lifted up. And we praise your name. You are good. I, I find myself almost every time. I come and talk to you because that is where I start. Father, you are good. And um, not because you need to know that you're good, because you already know that you're good. But I need to remind myself that you are good. So, you are good, you are kind, you are generous, you are merciful. You, you're, you are faithful. You are not a man that we should lie. You're trustworthy. I can depend on each and every promise. You love me. You love us. You delight in us. You inhabit the praises of your people. You incline your ear to listen to our prayers. You are the strength of our life. You are our light and our salvation. We don't have to fear. And we say thank you, Jesus. Prayer Father, raise your name before you that we can stand on all of those things. And that those things are true, even in the moments when we don't believe it. You are faithful, God. You are just. And and I would say for me, the longer that I live, and the more that I see the disruptions and the turmoil of this world, I am more and more convinced that you're all I got. You are the most consistent being. And I'm in awe of that. I stand in, in the beauty of your holiness. You are pure and righteous. And you love your enemies, people who were your enemies. You made a way for us to be one with you. And so we just thank you, Father. We thank you. We praise you. We praise you for, for sending your spirit to dwell within us, to light our path, to comfort us, to be your instrument of peace, to give us the peace that passes all understanding. So, Father, we just praise you. There's not enough words. And the, the few words that we give is not enough. But we want to we want to give to you in many ways. So we just say praise you, Lord. Bless your name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You are so good. 
that your mercy endures forever. And I just thank you for loving people who most of the time like to do things their own way. Loving, loving folks who are natural idol factories. You love us anyway. God, so we've come to this place. We, we, as we are. Whatever that is, right? But we are here acknowledging that you are good, you are great, you are just thank you. And so with thankful hearts, we ask you, Lord, again, to just bless this time. Help us see you today. Help us see you in the preaching of the word and the fellowship that we experience. We love and we praise you and we glorify you. All glory, all honor, all dominion, all power, all praise is yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be some silent meditation on that. Um, it comes from 1 John 3.8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit. 
but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. But every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of our Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? And do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished all these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Uh, pray with me. Dear Lord Jesus, uh, thank you again for letting us gather here. Um, I pray for every single person who is in this room, who is watching online, or who will watch, uh, as Jesus said, pray with them. When we ask for your spirit to move in our hearts and that we would not just be inspired um, emotionally in a moment, um, but that there would be lasting impact in our, in our lives and our spirits. Um, that this time together would orient our hearts to you, orient our, our lives to you, um, and uh, show us any way in which we are pursuing a, a wide and easy path. That is because of some idol, or that we don't want to follow you, or uh, we fear a hard way, or, or maybe just we're just not aware, we're just coasting. Um, and uh, show us um, how to follow you, and, and thank you for your grace, and, and that being a lifelong journey, and not something that is um, you just have to figure out or miss. Uh, thank you for your grace and your kindness. And you're teaching us. This is not, um, uh, you, you give us your word. You taught us uh, what you would have us do, how, you, how it is to follow you, and then how you help us in that. Um, I pray for Pastor Alex uh, as he comes up and preaches from this word, and that you would give him words and assurance even as well. That the Spirit has been moving in this preparation, and it is moving now in our hearts as we will receive it. Um, and we thank you, love you, and amen to all of the praise and the, and the prayers thus far. And we trust that you will be with us the rest of this time. This is Jesus now, thank
morning uh, to UC Saints and guests. Uh, I hope each of you are uh, doing well this morning. Thank you for for joining us uh, in person or online today. Your know, presence is is appreciated. Thank y'all so much for for being here. Pastor uh, Pastor and author Rich Villadas says the Sermon on the Mount was not given to show our inability to live it out and trust God. It was given so that we can trust God and live it out. There's a difference. And he is so right. The Sermon on the Mount is is gospel. It is not law, nor does it add to the law. It actually provides kingdom convictions that lead to human hope human flourishing according to the way of Christ. The Sermon on the Mount is really great. It's great. And it's great concludes today in Matthew 7 verses 13 through 29. The sermon title today is You Better Watch Yourself Part 2. The main idea is the way of holiness leads to a different destination in the way of incompleteness. The way of holiness leads to a different destination than the way of incompleteness. Please pray with me and for me. Holy Spirit, as we come to the preaching of the word, I pray that you will take what is said here and apply it to our minds and apply it to our hearts and also apply it to our lives. We cannot do any of that apart from you. We can do nothing apart from you working in and through us. So, Spirit, we are dependent upon you if we are to grow faith, if we are to um, trust Jesus hard places. There's, there's nothing, we can't do those things if you're not working in your room. So Holy Spirit, bring us to the end of ourselves. Bring us to the end of, of, of our goodness. Bring us to the end of trusting in our resources. Bring us to an end of, of thinking that we got to have it all together. Bring us to the end of ourselves. So at that end, we can be Christ to me. So Holy Spirit, do this for the glory of our God and King, for our good. It is in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. The way of holiness leads to a different destination than the way of incompleteness. There are two ways in which you can live life. Way of holiness or one of incompleteness. And these are two these two ways are opposite journeys that lead you to different destinations. And Jesus elaborates on these two ways with, with three exhortations to his people. And these are really three you better watch yourself for. Three, you better watch yourself on. Are y'all ready to watch? 
Are y'all ready to listen? Are you ready to receive? Are you ready to submit to the truth? The first you better watch yourself is given in verse 13a. Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate. Enter by the narrow gate. Y'all enter by the narrow gate. This is a warning to enter by a gate that's restricted, tight, and exclusive. It's a warning to enter by the narrow gate as opposed to the wide gate. But why? Why this warning, Christ? He gives us uh, he gives a reason for this warning in verse 13b and 14. He introduces the, the reason by contrasting two kinds of travelers who are on opposite journeys. Two kinds of travelers who are on opposite journeys. You see, the first traveler enters through the wide gate and, and travels an easy and broad journey. The wide gate and the easy journey, they, they represent they represent what Jesus says back in Matthew 5, verse 17. He says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness as these that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's what he says. One student professor says, the broad and easy way is the way of the Pharisees, whose righteousness is easy and definable and can be gritted out solely at the external level. Not committing adultery, not murdering, and so on. The first traveler is self-sufficient. Self-sufficient. It's a self-sufficient traveler. And the wide gate represents self. Self is the gate for the self-sufficient traveler. It's a self-centeredness, it's a self-righteousness, it's self-rule and self-indulgence. And the easy and broad journey represents this traveler's own merits, own goodness, own successes, and achievements, and, and independence, and, and rebellion against God, and so on. So the self-sufficient traveler is, 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 lives with himself or herself at the center. These travelers do what is right in their own eyes. They do what is fit for them. They are the masters of their own life, and they live according to their own standards, pleasures, and agendas. And in doing so, they reject Christ. They reject Christ. I guess I need to pull out my amen sign. I just left it off now that I got my big pulpit back set right here. In his book, The Way of Kings, Brandon Sanderson writes, And so does the destination matter? Or is it the path that we take? I declare no accomplishment has substance merely as great as the role used to achieve it. We are not creatures of destinations. It is the journey that shapes us. Self-sufficient travelers, they are being shaped by the easy and broad journey. It is shaping It feeds the independence from God. That's what it does. So remember who, the, who, who this traveler is. It's a self-sufficient traveler. This traveler is traveling a journey that's all about self. And it leads that person farther and farther away from God. It massages 
his unbelief. Cater to the, the, the selfishness and self-importance. It, it excites them. This journey excites these travelers because it makes no demand on the traveler's life. Because the traveler is the the traveler is the boss. Paves his own way. And in fact, if, if he doesn't like one way, he just create another road. I go this way. This journey, this easy and broad journey, it deceives these travelers by their own self-importance and by their own self-righteousness. This easy and broad and comfortable journey is the way of incompleteness. That's the way. And this way of incompleteness is leading these self-sufficient travelers somewhere. They're on a journey to a certain place, to a final destination. And it's not the destination they thought it would be. It's not. The way of incompleteness seems right to them, but it's not. You see, the destination is destruction. It is death. It is the final judgment. Look at verse 13 with me. Christ says, Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are men. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Are y'all self sufficient travelers this morning? Where are you? Who are you? In Matthew 16, Christ asks each of you a question. And here's the question. For what will it profit you if you gain the whole world and yet forfeit your very soul? Think about it. Think about it. Because the sense of the traveler, he wants the whole world. She wants the whole world. That's what she lives for. So what would it profit y'all if you gain every worldly treasure, dream, and treasure, but at the end of your life you forfeit your very soul along the way? There's, there's no profit in that. If at the end of your life you lose your soul. Self-sufficient travelers lose their souls at the end of their journey. That's what Christ is talking about. They lose it. Even though they live their life trying to hold on to it, they end up losing it in the end anyway. But there's a different way, saints, yes, beloved. And there's a different way. It's the way of holiness. I call the travelers on, on this particular journey self-insufficient travelers. Self-insufficient travelers. She, this is, this, she's the second type of travel that Christ talks about in verses 3, 13, and 14. These travelers enter through a narrow gate. And they travel a hard and difficult journey, which is opposite to the self-sufficient travel. Do you see the contrast that between the two? Different travelers, different journeys, different destinations, different gates. Unlike the wide gates, the narrow gate represents Christ. Period. It ain't Christ plus plus. It's Christ. Period. Amen. He says in verse 14, Christ says in verse 14, how narrow is this gate? It's tight 
It is slim. It is restricted. You see, it is hard and difficult. The hard and difficult journey represents Christ's merits and righteousness. Not your own. Not your own. You see, the gate is narrow because all travelers are asked to embrace self-denial. To embrace self-insufficiency. You can't enter through Jesus and yourself. You have to pick a gate. So pick one. The hard journey. This journey is hard because all travelers are asked to deny their external righteousness. Their goodness, their merits, their good deeds, and their own morality. And they're asked to have a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. And there's only one kind of righteousness that does that. And you should know what it is, the righteousness of Christ. That's the only kind of righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. And Christ really gives his own righteousness to people who receive him in faith. He takes the word of sin that, and he gives you his righteous credit. Without that, you cannot get into the kingdom of God. Romans 3, Romans 3, verses 21 and 22 says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. Do you believe? Or are you just pretending? Like the self-sufficient traveler, the self-insufficient traveler is also being shaped by the hard and difficult journey. The, the, shaping, the shaping is a work of God's grace that changes the traveler more and more into the image of Christ. This, this work of God's grace has is, 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 is been done in the traveler by the Holy Spirit. This work of grace is, is what Christian theologians call sanctification. And if you know, the journey of sanctification is hard and difficult. Because it's moving you away from self and bringing you more and more close to Jesus. You see, your whole being is being transformed on a hard and difficult journey. The journey progressively brings you to an end of yourself. The end of self-rule the end of self-glorification, the end of self-righteousness, and the end of self-worship. The hard and difficult journey, it changes your passions, your desires, your dreams, your treasures, and your commitments. It draws you closer and closer to the heart of Christ. It brings you to a place where you love what Jesus loves, and you love who he loves. That is what's happening to us, you, on a hard and difficult journey. Remember, the easy road makes some demands upon you. But the hard and difficult journey does. It means you're learning to live under the Lordship of Christ. You can't be your Savior and not be your Lord also. You don't get to pick and choose. It's all inclusive. I die for your sins. And when you come to faith in me, now I own your whole life and everything belongs to you. That is Jesus. The hard and difficult journey is the way of holiness. 
and the way of holiness is leading insufficient travelers somewhere. They're also on a journey to a certain place and, and a final destination, and the destination is eternal life, everlasting life. Look at verse 14. Christ says, For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard at least to life, and those who find it. The narrow gates and, and the hard journey are leading self-insufficient travels to everlasting life within God's kingdom. In God's kingdom. And their wonderful and, and good final destination is made possible because of the life and death and resurrection of Christ. He has paved the road for you. And please notice, on your journey... On this journey of wellness, you're walking in Christ's footsteps. That's already been put there for you. That's what you do on the journey. Because he's already walking for you. He's already walking for you. He says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except for me. And you don't need to go to the Greek. To understand what he's saying. If you don't come through me, you don't come in. I am the only way. I am the way in. I am the gate to the Father's heart. You don't get in apart from it. Peter says in Acts 4 2, and there is salvation in no one else. For, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus' hands are extended out to each of you if you don't come. He's offering you life. Everlasting life. Not a comfortable life. Not an easy life. But everlasting life. Take hold of his hand and face. Trust in his life and his death and his resurrection for your salvation and for your peace with God. Caledon, the surgeon turned warrior, is my favorite character in the fantasy book, The Way of Kings. So you're going to hear a lot about this series, trust me. Because, man, I connect to this brother's story. I imagine that I'm actually him, so in the story. And so his journey is filled with gladness and grief, all at the same time, coexisting at the same time. Joy and pain, great victories and great losses. And, and, and in the story, Calvin ends up volunteering for the military after his, after his younger brother is drafted to serve. And he serves under a general and high marshal. And he grows to respect, trust, and admire. He even saves this general's life in one battle. But that didn't stop the general from betraying him. Branding him a slave selling him into slavery. And with tears dripping from his chin, Calvin says to this general, you're supposed to be better than the other. This betrayal wounds Calvin deeply, and it creates in him a, a great distrust of people in power. And later in the book he says this, how easy it is to ignore a black and heart if you dress it in a fresh uniform and a reputation of honesty. Take his words to heart. How easy it is to ignore 
a black and white. If you dress it up in nice clothes, a nice uniform, looks pressed, and the person has a reputation of honesty. Does it mean they actually honest? They have the reputation of honesty. The second, you better watch yourself warning from Christ relates to these words spoken by Calvin, my hero. The warning deals with people in position of power and authority and leadership and influence who are one way externally and another way internally. Look at verse 15. Christ says, Beware of false teachers. Y'all beware of false teachers. Y'all be on the lookout for false teachers. Y'all stay away from false prophets. For us, in our culture, false prophets represent religious leaders, spiritual leaders, church leaders, ministry leaders, preachers, teachers, evangelists, elders, deacons, bishops, and theologians who are not true leaders of Christ. They're not true leaders of Christ. And these false teachers, they come to you. They'll come to your church, your ministry. They'll enter into your social media feed. They'll walk into your space. They'll set up shop in your community. And it's often hard to identify them because they're different. They have charisma. They have the impact. Can preach and teach messages and sermons and books and blog posts and podcasts appear to be filled with God's truth. They can grow churches and ministries. They can plant churches. They serve as ministry leaders. They lead Bible studies. They speak at conferences and retreats. They even appear to have a surface heart and a spirit and a heart of service. They even appear to be humble. And Christ tells us why it's hard to identify them. He says, because publicly you see a sheep, but privately they're wolves. Well, you see in public the sheep, but in private they're wolves. Christ says, rare or false prophets who come to you in sheep clothing, but inwardly they're wolves. These wolves in sheep clothing, they have all their right stuff externally, but internally they have some serious character flaws. They say all the right things, but their life isn't consistent with what they profess. And eventually, their really true identity will be made known. Christ makes this clear in verse 16 with a bold statement and a rhetorical question. He says, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes? Are figs from thistles? The obvious answer is no. Grapes come from a grapevine, not thorn bushes. Figs come from a fig plant, not thistles. And similarly, false Christian leaders will eventually produce fruit according to who they really are. All you got to do is watch. The Message Bible says, don't be impressed with charisma. Look for character. Who preachers are is the main thing, not what they say. Not what they say. To elaborate on this point, Jesus makes a clear distinction between false Christian leaders and true Christian leaders. He uses a metaphor that his disciples and the crowd can understand and relate to. He says false Christian leaders are like diseased trees that can only bear bad fruit, rock fruit. And their fruit is how they truly live their life. It's their lifestyle. As one Christian theologian says, here the thought is not that it's not the outward appearance that is important, but the thing the false teachers do 
produce of their matter of thought and life. That's what's important. And what they produce is bad because the tree is disease. It's disease because it has not come to Jesus to be healed. Amen. Good. That's why it's disease. And as a result, every disease tree is cut down and thrown into the fire. And that beloved again is final judgment. The way of incompleteness leads to final judgment. But not a true Christian leader won't meet such a final destination because faith in Jesus Christ makes them healthy trees. Okay? Because they used to be disease trees until they come to the King of Jesus. He made them healthy. He made them healthy with their faith in Him. And they only bear good fruit now through the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at verses 17 through 20 with me. So every, so every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you shall recognize them by their fruit. That is Christ's word, not my word. In verses 21 through 23, our Savior moves away from talking about what these false Christian leaders do to talking about what they're going to say to him on the last day. They're going to come to him recounting all of their religious and ministry resume. They're going to tell him, this is what I've done for you. They're going to remind Jesus of all the good things they did in his name. Christ will listen to them, but in the end, he shall disappoint them. Because, are you serious? Religious and ministry, your religious and ministry resume isn't good enough to get you in the kingdom of God. We all keep track of the good things we do. But please know that ain't why you get in. That's not why you are in sin. That's not why you are saved. You see, working for God and knowing God are not the same thing. These false Christian leaders, they work for him, but they don't know him. They don't know Jesus in faith, and Jesus doesn't know them as his disciples and people. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, see we not prophesy in your name. Cast out demons in your name and do many works in your name. And then I shall declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of law. That stings. The true Christian leaders, true Christian leaders, are the ones who actually do the will of God, not the false Christian leaders. So the question she's asking us sometimes is, well, what is the will of God is huh? Christ tells us what that will is in John 6, verse, verse 30. Listen to what Christ says. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. That's God's will for you, to believe in Jesus, to trust Jesus for your salvation. Jesus wants you to know him personally and relationally through faith. Do you know him? 
or do you, or, or, or do you just work? Even if, even if you've been a Christian for a long time, if you, are you growing and knowing Jesus, or all you do is just work? Or are you the one? For the Savior who loves you. The story of the three little pigs is one of the all-time favorite children stories. And as y'all know, the story is about three brothers who build three types of houses. Three different types of houses. One pig builds a house of straw, while his brother builds a house with sticks. But the third brother, he builds his house with bricks. And all is good until the big, bad wolf comes walking down the lane. And soon the big, bad wolf, he sees the straw house, and he smells the little pig inside. So the, so the big, bad wolf walks up to the straw house, he, he knocks on the door, with a pig, with a pig. Let me in. Let me in. The first of the pig looks through the keyhole. And he sees them. They're going to die. <laughs> I did. In the middle of my great illustration. <laughs> that is so messed up, man. All right, I need batteries, people. You can grab one of the mics to your right. Okay. There we go. All right. I'm back. Okay. So, as I was saying, the little pig looks through the keyhole and he sees the big bad wolf. And he says to the big bad wolf, no, 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 not by the hairs of my chitty chin. Then the wolf says, then I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house down. He blows it down. And the little pig gets away and he runs to his brother's house. But the house is made of sticks. He thinks he's safe there. But that house suffers the same fate as the straw. The big bad wolf blows it down. Then the two pigs run away and, and they go to their, to their brother's house, a house that is made of bricks. And, and the brick house doesn't suffer the same fate as the other two houses. No matter how hard the wolf blows, the house doesn't fall down. It survives the storm of the wolf because it was made of brick. It was a good foundation. The founder, you better watch yourself warning is similar to this little short story. Christ illustrates his warning by contrasting two types of builders who build different houses on different foundations. He calls one builder wise and the other builder foolish. The foolish builder is like the first two pigs in our story. He builds his house on a weak foundation that cannot stand up against powerful storms. The storm huffs, it puffs, and eventually it blows down the foolish builder's house. But now the wise builder, he's like the third one. Yeah. He builds his house on a strong foundation that can withstand the powerful winds of the storm. The storm can puff, it can puff, but the storm does not blow down the wise builder's house because it's built on a firm foundation. The wise builder. And the foolish builder, they, they represent people who have different responses to Jesus and to what Jesus says. The wise builder hears the words of Christ, but does not apply them to his life. Doesn't live them out. Jesus' words enters, through, enters in through one ear and exit out the other. The foolish builder just is a hearer of God's word, 
He hears it, but he doesn't order his life under it. He doesn't practice the word. The word is not the standard by which he measures his life. And as a result, his life cannot stand up against the storms and the pressures of life. And nor can he stand up against God's final judgment. In the end, his life actually does not flourish. Look at verse 27 and 27. Jesus says, Christ says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them would be like a foolish man who builds his house on sand. And the rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it failed. Great was the fall of it. Great was the fall of it. But the wise builder hears the words of Christ and strives to practice the words of Christ because she is a genuine believer. The Holy Spirit lives in her. She knows Jesus in faith and she follows him. Let me put it this way. She knows Christ through faith. She enjoys Jesus in in a personal relationship and she glorifies Jesus with her life. The foundation of her life is Christ and his word. Period. And she doesn't have to add adjectives to who she is as a Christian to have a foundation. She is loves Jesus and he is for her. And through him, she flourishes in this life and in the next. Look at verses 24 and 25. Christ says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them would be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been built on their rock. Notice he didn't say a rock. The rock. And that's Jesus. One church hymn says, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ, my righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All of the grounds is sinking sand. When darkness veils his hope, his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. And when shall and when he shall come with trumpet sound, oh may I dead in him be found. In him my righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock, we stand. Because it's us together, not as individuals. We stand together in all other grounds. We stand and stand. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for being the rock of ages. The solid rock on which we build our whole life. And thank you that we don't have to beg you to be there for us. It is who you are. You cannot deny yourself. So, Lord, thank you. Go with us today. Be with us in the upcoming week. Help us to know who we are in you as beloved sons and daughters, as beloved kids of a good father. Help us as we navigate this life that is often hard. The journey is hard. But you are with us. 
We're not creating new footsteps. We're just walking in the footprints we already left behind. And we don't and go on the journey alone. The Holy Spirit is there with us. And there's also a lot of other Christians with us too. And we're all headed to the same place. Glory. So let us receive comfort. Let us receive strength. Let us receive the encouragement that we need to continue to press in and to press on. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Now please stand for uh, the benediction. Again, thank y'all so much for being here. Thank you so much for tuning in. My office education said in the, in the beginning, uh, all the strangers tonight, please pray for the guys that are going through and give God's benediction to his beloved people. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his holy God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. All God's people said, Amen. Please speak to one another, saints. Thank <laughs> you.